Welcome to Utilizing AI, the podcast about enterprise applications for machine learning, deep learning, and other artificial intelligence topics. Each episode brings experts in enterprise infrastructure together to discuss applications of AI in today's data center. Today, we're discussing moving AI to the storage devices. First, let's meet our guests, Vladimir Alvis and Scott Shadley from NGD Systems. Hi, yeah, my name is Vladimir Alves. Yes, I'm the CTO and co-founder uh, at NGD Systems. And we've been in this journey since 2014 and very happy to talk about a concept that we've, we as a startup have introduced, uh, computational storage. And hi, my name's Scott Shadley. I'm the VP of Marketing here. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at smshadley. And I've had a great journey in storage and looking forward to talking about the next level of storage technologies in, on this call. Hey, everyone. I am your co-host today, Chris Gundeman. I am a content creator, consultant, coach, and mentor. And you can find more at chrisgundeman.com. And I am Stephen Foskett, uh, publisher of Gestalt IT and founder of Tech Field Day. Uh, you can find me at sfoskett on most social media networks. And of course, you can find me here as the host of Utilizing AI and uh, the Gestalt IT Rundown every week. So uh, Scott and I go way back, and uh, we've seen quite a lot happen in the enterprise storage industry. And uh, frankly, what NGD is doing is something that a lot of our audience may not be really aware of. So many of us, uh, many times we've talked a lot about the various places that AI appears and machine learning is appearing and how machine learning is going everywhere from the cloud to the data center, to the edge, to 5G, to cars. We've talked about all these things, industrial IoT. But one of the things that uh, we haven't really talked about in too much detail yet is computational storage. And so the idea here is that you and me and, well, pretty soon there's going to be processors on the storage devices themselves. And I don't mean a storage array. I mean like the disks. And that stuff's going to be doing processing all the way out at the drive level. And that is a real sea change. And so I figured it would be good to kind of cover this to start with. So maybe Scott, maybe you can kick us off a little bit. Did I do justice to what NGD is doing? Absolutely. I would say that the uh, one little hint would be that the processors are already there in some of the products that are out there on the market. So the idea of AI, ML, all of these things and making the computer more intelligent, everything has to be done on data. They have to use data to be more intelligent, to do training models, to do inferencing, to update any kind of artificial intelligence applications. And if you're pulling data from the disks or the solid state drives, then of course you're moving it into memory, you're using the host CPU to do that work. Why not let the disk do it itself? And so you've heard the term intelligent storage from HPE where they're using the, the storage devices to better manage their wear or their characteristics. What we're talking about is really making the, the drives self-aware so that the drives act as a server themselves, full on CPU, can run applications, and we've got um, some great activities that we've got in place. And as you mentioned, as far as where it's being played out at, being able to do AI in the disk itself allows us to do things as far as in space. And we can even get into that if you want. So the chips that are already out there, I mean, is this, how common is this for an SSD or, or an HDD to have some kind of processing ability right there locally where it has access to the data and can do things without going through a traditional CPU architecture? So I would say that uh, it, it's out there, uh, and, but the type of processing is very limited and, and not very flexible. So for example, most solid state drives nowadays uh, support uh, some form of encryption, 
And encryption means that you're processing data, right? To make, to keep it safe. And you can argue, okay, yeah, then I'm, I'm doing some sort of processing and it's true, but it's very limited and it's very rigid, right? Uh, some, you know, uh, SSDs out there also do some sort of uh, compression, which is another form of, of processing on the data so that you can store more on the SSD. It has its advantages and disadvantages, but nevertheless, it's processing. So what we did is going the next, I mean, pushing that boundary really far and allowing like generic processing to happen inside the SSD, not just something that is purely date, uh, uh, storage centric and, and simple and, and not programmable. We made it programmable, generic, and uh, open to all sorts of applications. And when you talk about the kind of processing that's been doing, that, that's happening there, right now, it's not really machine learning processing that's happening on drives. Uh, it's more like, you know, compression encryption. But uh, you're saying that in the future, things like that can go all the way down to the drive level. Is that right? Well, uh, yes and no. Uh, I mean, the future is here because there are drives out there, uh, uh, and and we we as our a company we, we manufacture and sell those drives that are capable of running an operating system and and uh, running applications on this operating system that can be of different uh, uh, types, including machine learning. So it's not just machine learning. So yeah, the future is here. <laughs> I would say. So when I think about this, you know, kind of from the naive point of view, right, we have, you know, potentially more and more powerful processing available right on, you know, some form of storage, um, you know, disk or drive of, of, of some sort. And on the other side of the spectrum, right, we see other folks who are doing more kind of like hardware composability in the data center. Uh, and there's a number of companies that are working on kind of looking at the data center as, as the unit of compute. And this seems to be going the opposite direction, which is kind of driving down and, and you're almost recreating a computer inside of a drive. And so I just, maybe this is an ill-formed question, but, but my imagination goes to just, are we redefining what a computer is at this point, right? I mean, because I think there's, there's components that make up what a computer is, and we're seeing those at both a macro and a micro level. Um, obviously for different advantages, right? And I can see in this case, the advantages of latency and, and, and you know, data locality make a lot of sense. Um, but, but is this actually a shift in, in what we call a computer or am I overthinking it? So from your point of view, von Neumann is what we've known as the architecture. It's a CPU, a memory, and a storage block. And they're independent blocks that have to be combined in some way. Uh, and when you think of computational storage, we're putting all three of those boxes into the storage device itself. And the reason that we're doing that is the amount of raw data that we're generating as an, as a people is growing in exabytes and zettabytes. And being able to grab and store the data is great for current existing architectures. Being able to do something with that raw data and doing value with that raw data becomes more of a challenge. And so when we get into talking about the composability piece of it, what we're offering is kind of, a, in a lot of people's minds, and, and you have a very good point, is disaggregating all of those items into being able to allow you to mix and match them appropriately in a rack or at a data center level. But all of that still requires the raw data. And that raw data can be better handled at the device level. And especially things like AI for inferencing or similarity searches or other types of object detection that are all in the AI realm, bring in all that raw data and then just do some of that pre-fetching or pre-work before you fish it off to the composable architecture that you have. What that does is it allows you to actually better manipulate the composability. So instead of needing 62 processors, I only need 60 because the devices are offloading that little bit of work that those extra two processors would need to be doing, and they can be composed off somewhere else. Or 
composing seven GPUs instead of 15 because I'm doing a lot of that work inside the device first and saving a lot of that data movement. And it's really about the moving of that data that it comes into play that this is so much of value. Uh, well, yeah, I would like to make a, an additional comment there. I think uh, the, the advent of the edge, right? The computation happening far away from the data center and actually distributed everywhere. And that's a reality, right? It's happening now and it's just gonna grow at an exponential rate, even faster than what, you know, what happened with the data center or the hyperscale world. Uh, that is changing everything. And that is bringing, uh, you know, an opportunity for new, I mean, actually existing concepts, right? Concepts that were developed already, but uh, have not been, you know, extensively deployed, such as heterogeneous computing, uh, uh, near data processing, distributed processing uh, out there to help sol solve the new problems that come, right? We have to reduce latency a lot. We have to uh, absorb enormous amount of data and, and uh, be able to respond to inputs very quickly coming from you know, everywhere at the same time. And centralization in data centers is not the answer to everything. It helps in many aspects of it, but it will be uh, a problem going forward, creating artificial bottlenecks that we don't need. So uh, what does computational storage do? It brings together a lot of these concepts. So heterogeneous processing, because most likely the processor that's being used inside the computational storage device is not the same that you have on your host. Uh, for example, an ARM CPU versus an Intel or an AMD CPU. Uh, it brings the concept of near data processing because the computational storage device processes mostly data that's stored inside its own media and the concept of distributed processing because uh, in most uh, you know, deployments out there, whether it's at the edge or in the data center, there's multiple storage devices that are directly attached to a, a host CPU. So therefore having multiple intelligent storage devices where you can run real applications on their local data <clears throat> then creates or at least creates the opportunity to use distributed processing meaning that all those storage devices can can work now in parallel together to solve a problem that involves a substantial amount of data that needs to be stored in separate storage devices so uh, i would say that uh, the Using these, uh, you know, technologies is what is going to make the actual the the growth of the edge possible, right? It's not just okay. I can I need to absorb more data. It's not just high capacity storage or more storage devices. It's beyond that. To me, it seems really analogous to what we were talking about when we were talking about industrial IoT. When we we're talking about basically having, for example, imagine every camera having local machine learning processing um, on the edge devices so that we didn't have to transmit as much data back to the core and so that we could have lower latency of processing at the edge. In this case, the edge is not the edge of the world as some of those industrial IoT applications are, but the edge of the computer itself because the computer itself has all these devices attached to it. And if you think about, you know, I, I know that it's, car, it's sometimes hard, you know, you can kind of imagine, okay, so an oil rig in the North Sea is gonna have slower, you know, more latency and less bandwidth and gonna need to do local processing. 
it's kind of the same thing within the computer itself because storage devices have limitations to bandwidth and have uh, latency even on that little short cable. And uh, you know, the volume of data we're talking about here is, is just massive. I mean, these days it's not unusual to have multi-terabyte SSDs and to have the ability to do some processing there to reduce the amount of data that has to go over the storage bus is just as important as it is to you know, reduce the amount of data coming from that oil rig in the North Sea. And I think that to me is the thing that got me excited about the prospect of computational storage. I don't see it as um, an alternative to composability or uh, even centralization. I see it as sort of an inevitability because as you're saying, you know, most of these devices now have a full operating system on them anyway. I mean, they're, uh, it, you know, you may not see it, but it's running the same kind of processor that's in your phone and your phone is doing ML processing. So why not the storage device? Is that right? Yeah, absolutely correct. And I agree with you. It's not an alternative to composability or anything else, right? People often, not, not often, but sometimes we hear, oh, okay, so you, are you going to displace GPUs? Absolutely not. Uh, GPUs have uh, their place, for example, in the ecosystem, right? We, we add another... You know, dimension to the to the to the problem, right? And 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 try to, to help solve you know concrete uh, issues in in processing large amount of data. Bringing some of the computation into the storage device doesn't have to be all of it. It just needs to help the system augment the performance of the system and augment the energy efficiency of the system. These are the goals. This is the vision of the companies uh, you know that are in the computational storage space, including ours is to uh, you know make it easier to process data and it could be running uh, you know something as complex as ml workloads or as simple as you know filtering data you know by parsing metadata for example so all, all of this can help so you you, you know every case is different uh, and uh, it you know it requires some uh, you know understanding of how computational storage can will help you but uh, yeah that that's important. Well, I think that's a path that I'd like to go down a little bit, um, which is those use cases, right? And maybe specifically here, the AI use cases. And, you know, what are the things you've seen maybe already or at least have thought of as far as where this, you know, computational processing can really help for artificial intelligence in general, maybe machine learning more specifically, right? Is this something where we can go in and be doing training on data while it sits on individual disks? Or is it something where we can actually be performing inference and making predictions based on that limited data set out of the bigger pool? or um, you know, fully training or, or, or what pieces and parts can this actually help with, or is it all of them, right? And, and how so? Uh, sure, so yeah, yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> we uh, both are valid. So one of the cool things about being a startup is that you, you have the opportunity to do mm -hmm. a little bit more than just you know, engineering development. And it, we, we do a lot of research and development uh, in, in our company, for example, but there are, other groups out there that do the same. And uh, we have a strong relationship with the different groups in the academia, including the University of California in Irvine, uh, right there where we have, and then we have, we're lucky to have uh, many PhD students uh, in, uh, as interns uh, uh, in, in our company. And uh, one of the things that we have explored over the past uh, you know, few, two, three years is actually to uh, first uh, running inference in, in, inside the storage device uh, using common frameworks such as TensorFlow, Keras, et cetera. Uh, and we've been very successful, it, uh, especially when we use the concept of distributed processing. So usually, for example, if you're doing 
you know, image uh, recognition of some sort, uh, like facial recognition or things of the sort, you have tons of data in form of images that are, uh, you know, when you talk about terabytes or multiple terabytes, they need to be stored in multiple devices, right? The multiple storage devices. So we can quickly and easily harness the power of computational storage by executing, uh, you know, uh, these uh, ML algorithms uh, locally in the local data and uh, let the host also do the same type of process or a different process. And in the end, we have shown in multiple papers that have been published in well-known conference, conferences uh, that we augment the performance of those systems when they are performing those machine learning applications. Uh, and uh, um, as well as uh, uh, there's a, a significant increase in uh, energy efficiency. Now, then after that, we've been pushing the boundary and looking at training. Uh, there's there's already been a lot of work done by uh, you know Google for example on distributed uh, you know training uh, especially using you know the you know platforms such as cell phones etc uh, we piggyback back on, on on that kind of uh, study and developed on uh, you know the algorithms and and showing actually uh, that you can uh, perform things such as you know uh, uh, language processing, for example, uh, you know, with, uh, on uh, databases that are, have been released are public uh, by uh, Twitter, for example, uh, to um, uh, infer on, you know, the, the mood of people that have, are, you know, writing, for example, a comment on Twitter, uh, whether they are sad or, 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 or happy, et cetera. So, so this kind of thing that's usually done in the framework, you know, on a data center and, you know, high powered machines and so on, we can actually reproduce that and run it locally on the storage device and I harness the power of all the storage devices working in parallel together with the CPUs, right? We're not just eliminating CPUs, but then we can show, and we have shown in these uh, scientific papers that we can augment the performance of the system. So one of the other things that occurs to me is that um, by having a huge number of, we already have a huge number of storage devices. And if we're putting processors on those devices, essentially we're getting a huge number of processors working as well. And as I think everybody in the machine learning space has seen, uh, massive numbers of processors working in parallel is the secret to making all this stuff work. Uh, so there again, you know, there's another aspect to this as well that, you know, we're starting to see more and more processors teaming up and even distributed processors, as in the case of NVIDIA's announcements with like their Grace platform and so on, even distributed processors teaming up on offloaded data. And so to me, again, this seems analogous to what we're seeing in networking with the DPU trend and in the NVIDIA Grace and so on. Do you guys see that as well? Is this sort of the same sort of thing? It's like a DPU except for storage? Yeah, so I'll jump in there and, and kind of bring to light that I would say that that's a very good way to look at it. You think about our everybody's favorite um, book, uh, The Secret of the Universe, and the, the number is 42, right? Uh, for us, the number is 6,048. If you take a rack of one-use servers full of our devices, you get 6,048 additional processors in the system. That's a, a lot of distributed processing power and capability that's built into that product and technology. Now, granted, they're not the same potency of a GPU or things like that, but one of the key aspects that you brought up with like the DPU, for example, is a DPU takes a slot in the back of the box or 
a drive that is a non-storage device in a drive slot. We're giving you these processors inside the storage device. So you're getting a two for one. You're not losing any of your access to any of your additional connectivity or capacity, but you're gaining the processing power. And that's what makes the computational storage drives so much more valuable to some of these customers. And to kind of piggyback on, you know, back to Chris's comment and, and uh, what Vladimir is saying, the concept of federated learning is a perfect example of what these products can do. Federated learning, which is a, pro a process being developed by multiple companies, even down like VMware, is to take a lower performance processor and allow it to do more meaningful work. And so since we are a small arm inside of a, a, a device versus an x86 with, you know, 128 threads and 64 cores, federated learning is a perfect example where you can do that distributed learning capability in these types of devices. And from a, a market landscape perspective, uh, that's one reason why NGD has been so prevalent in the SNEA organization around standards is to help the market understand how to do this and create a common framework to interact with the different versions of these products that exist. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess the obvious question, which we, we've touched on a little bit, because I think, um, I forget who it was mentioned that there's potentially cost savings here in involved in kind of doing some of this kind of offloading from main memory, main CPU by doing this in the drives. At the same time, you know, I have to ask the, the, the other side of that question, which is, okay, if I'm now adding an extra 6,000 processors to this rack, you know, how am I getting away with not spending more power, keeping all that lit, right? So, I mean, where's that trade-off there and how, how do I actually save power in this paradigm? Initially, it may sound counterintuitive, but uh, there's, there's has been many uh, studies that show that most of the power that is spent in any computing system is actually spent in moving data. So moving data from, for example, from the memory to the processor register so it can be, you know, actually, you know, worked on. Uh, that, spent, that, that results in a lo lot of power spent, right? And moving data from storage device where it, it is, also if you're talking about processing massive amount of data, so let's say terabytes and terabytes of data, uh, and to run an, uh, you know, running, for example, a uh, machine learning workload to, uh, you know, uh, search for uh, a face in a, in a gigantic database, every one of the faces uh, or the images corresponding to each face needs to move from the storage device through the PCIe bus in our case, right? Uh, into the root complex of the host CPU and then into the host memory and so that it can start being processed. So that movement of data results in a gigantic amount of, uh, of power being spent. By reducing uh, the amount of data that needs to move, then we can save a lot of energy okay, yes, we are adding a processor that consumes and so on, but uh, the proof is in the pudding and all the experiments that we ran so far, all of them, all the POCs show that we save energy in the, at the end. And it's not something that's particularly to, to the technology and the products that we as NGD systems have developed. That's a gen generic concept whereby reducing or eliminating the, um, the, the amount of data that is moved from one location to the other saves energy. And also you're talking about using um, low powered uh, chips anyway. So, I mean, you mentioned ARM earlier. I know that there's also this RISC-V thing that a lot of storage uh, developers are getting excited about. But on the ARM side, uh, you know, we do see a lot of uh, deployment of specialized uh, ML processing cores and so on. Uh, are you seeing those kind of specialized ML processing IP coming right into the drive? Uh, yeah, I, b I believe this is 
part of the it's going to be a trend in the near future yes i do believe so uh it <clears throat> i mean just accelerating ml processing is not enough you need to actually to have a programming model that makes it easy uh that's fundamental but having said that you know adding this extra processing capability will help a lot accelerate and and make uh like uh, uh you know the the uh, and uh, enable uh, the tackling like very complex, hard to solve problems in the storage device that today can only be you know done in a in a GPU, for example. Uh, so uh, I think this is going to be a, a, a real uh, trend, but it does have to come with a good programming model, which is, in my opinion, essential. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. We've seen that here on the in the past as well. That uh, you know, a lot of this technology relies on programming frameworks. And um, are you all working in that area as well, or are you really focused on the hardware side of things? Uh, no, uh, actually. <clears throat> so what we've done is that we've uh, worked on a programming model that allows us to kind of use these frameworks that are being developed. This is a gigantic amount of work that's done. Usually it's an open source development. It's thousands and thousands of developers around the world. You don't want to be, you know, like replicating some sort of, uh, you know, ML framework. Uh, who wants to, you know, reinvent TensorFlow? I mean, it's a gigantic task. So I want to use TensorFlow, right? And that's the thing. If you don't have a programming model that allows you to go and say, okay, well, what I, I want to use TensorFlow today, tomorrow I want to use a, a different framework, or uh, to deploy my applications, I want to use Kubernetes, uh, you know, does my drive support it? So this is, these are the very important questions, right? So if you have like uh, a very basic uh, processing capabilities that maybe even, uh, you know, uh, provide high performance for some specific functions, it may not, not solve your uh, programming model issue. I, well, I want to circle back a little bit to something. I, I think I think Vladimir was you that was talking about this earlier. Was just you know this move to the edge that's obviously happening kind of across the board. And we've definitely talked about it a lot here on this show as well as in other fora, um, where you know for a lot of use cases, a distributed approach to computing, you know, at the edge makes a lot more sense. And and I think you mentioned that this you know this this is kind of hand in hand or hand in glove anyway with um, computational storage. And that makes sense to me, right? If I can get better performance locally on the disks with, with lower power, um, that seems to play right into the edge. I mean, does this technology um, enable new business models for, for edge computing from, from your perspective? Um, or am I getting, again, ahead of myself here? No, I, I, think, it, I think it does. Uh, so, so first of all, I, I do 100% agree. Computational storage is a very good fit for what we're seeing in terms of needs at the, at the edge, right? So uh, uh, what we see is uh, the, the need for uh, tons of uh, storage capacity at the edge, much, much more than people thought a few years ago. Uh, so, uh, you know, high capacity solid state drives and so on are the solution. They're more rugged and, and provide higher capacity than conventional old Magnet, uh, uh, magnetic hard disk drives. Uh, but then there's a, a, a lot of need for processing. A lot of it can be done by simply move the data to uh, a central location, a data center, and performing the computation there and then reacting to it and you know, performing another or, or sending 
commands or, or actuating something. Um, but uh, more and more we see use cases where this is not possible. You have to make decisions right there and then, you need to process the data you know, closer to where it is being collected and stored uh, because you don't have the luxury, the time to, to uh, wait for you know, data to move to the data center for the decision to be made. Also the cost of moving data becomes, uh, you know, uh, much, much higher, right? Uh, you know, data centers charge a lot for data coming in and data going out. Um, so it becomes more and more interesting to perform, uh, you know, computation at the edge. And, uh, you know, when we talk about very small amount of data, then I don't think computational storage device makes sense. But when you're talking about massive amount of data, for example, but not limited to, you know, you know uh, processing video or, or images, then definitely, you know, uh, in many cases, we see that computational storage uh, uh, as a concept can be used very effectively. Um, and uh, I mean, we're seeing a, a, a lot of need for that uh, in uh, autonomous vehicles, maybe Scott can talk about a, a little bit about that. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, exciting work happening in edge analytics in general, something that it's kind of public, for example, the work that we're doing with uh, VMware. So there's a ton of examples there that, you know, kind of show there is a, a new business uh, model out there that's kind of um, getting ripe, let's put it this way. Yeah, I'd like to actually finish up before we get to our three questions here um, with just a quick question about uh, where are we in the development and the deployment of this? So I think people maybe, uh, I think a lot of listeners have probably said, I had never heard of this. I've never thought about this. This is something totally new to me. Um, how real is this? Are these products you can buy? Are they products that are deployed? What, what's going on here? Yeah, so I'll go ahead and jump in there. And from that perspective, yeah, the the market is evolving. It's in its, what I classify as, as infancy. So there are products available for multiple vendors. We're one. Uh, the SNEA group has now published a document that gives the framework for easy adoption, if you will, or like adoption of, of various different products. We're, think back to Fusion IO and PCIe SSDs when they first came to market. It was kind of a wild west of everybody you plug in, you have to use uniquely. So it creates more challenge for adoption. By using SNEA to develop this and having companies like Samsung on board ourselves, and companies like Micron and Kyosha participating in the effort, we see the momentums behind it, but we're still in the growth phase. So this is like, to your point, a lot of people simply haven't heard about it, but the products are available. They are shipping, they're in volume at various different places. Um, as you mentioned, things like autonomous vehicles, we're going to space, uh, VMware projects that are being launched that are gonna open up greater opportunities. So just for our company alone, let alone the other players in the space. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I think that, Everybody listening has probably learned something today uh, that they didn't know about before. Uh, so before we move on, uh, it's time for our three questions. Um, we're gonna handle these jump ball style. Uh, in other words, I'm just gonna throw them out there and Scott or Vladimir, you guys uh, can decide who's gonna answer this one. So we'll start off with the, with the first. Um, are there any jobs that you think will be completely eliminated by AI in the next five years? Um, I'll jump in there. So from a, a jobs perspective, I think we already see that there are some jobs that are being impacted by AI. 
I just look at like the, all the robots running around the warehouses, picking and pulling content and stuff like that. Um, I think the evolution of the job force is going to be taking place because of AI. We may not see as many jobs quote eliminated, but they just migrate to other opportunities, whether it be more and more computer science guys needed to help drive the AI, let alone the, the pick and placers type of thing. So I think we are seeing an evolution of the workforce, but I'm not really seeing that it's going to wholeheartedly replace people. I, I mean, I used to be in the fabs at Micron where I would move wafers myself by hand carrying them. Uh, robots move them around the sky now using AI, but there's still an operator that hits go on the machine. So, Well, let me uh, flip that on its head. Maybe Vladimir can take this one. Are there any fields that have not been touched at all by AI? Whoa. Uh, maybe very few. Uh, well, even, yeah, if I try to think, it's complicated because even in the arts, we see, uh, you know, uh, people experimenting with AI, maybe, you know, just for fun. But no, I think AI is going to be pervasive. Uh, uh, I, I do, I'm not afraid uh, of AI, like maybe, you know, we've heard from, you know, uh, people like Elon Musk and so on. Uh, but uh, I, I think it will change completely uh, and very soon. Uh, the way, uh, you know, like uh, the job market in general. Uh, lots of activities are going to be completely eliminated in, in my view, but it will create a lot of new opportunities as well that we even can't imagine today. And that has been the case, you know, with the industrial revolution, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we, I mean, hopefully we're getting smarter and we don't make the same mis mistakes as, you know, the human race has made when we transition from each, uh, in each uh, great phase of history. But AI is going to, you know, definitely completely change the panorama in 50 years. Uh, we'll, we'll look back and say, wow, you know, things have changed a lot. That's my belief. Well, the final one then uh, that I've got for you, maybe this is an appropriate question as well. Um, if we're putting ML processors in the drives and in IoT devices, how small do you think we're going to get with ML? Do you think we'll have ML-powered household appliances? Do you think we'll have ML-powered toys for kids? How about disposable ML? Yeah, I, I, I believe we'll have ML everywhere. And, and actually, it's going to be uh, you know, very helpful. Uh, the other day, I was uh, discussing like, uh, th that concept where you actually would have like a little AI bot where, that you can use to you know, talk about your feelings, you know, like how you're, you're feeling your health and et cetera. And then and it, this can be used to kind of gather information about yourself to help you in the, you know, you know, talk to your doctor and, you know, like uh, help diagnose like complex problems, like mental health issues or, or even health issues that you, you know, you're having a hard time figuring out what's going on with you and so on. So I, it's just an example. I think it's going to be absolutely everywhere. And uh, like cell phones, <laughs> uh, it may have uh, a good sides, but also probably also bad things that we'll need to deal with. Yeah, well, that's a really good point. And frankly, just like cell phones, where the components of the cell phone have powered revolutions in all sorts of other areas, mm -hmm. because suddenly we've got massive volume on accelerometers and gyros and flash memory and all these other things. Yeah. Uh, it allows us to see 
other areas to apply this technology. And I think ML is going to get be there as well. Uh, and certainly in uh, devices, storage devices, uh, I think that I think we can all agree that 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 there's going to be ML processors there. So thank you so much for this conversation. Um, where can people connect with you and follow your thoughts on enterprise AI and other topics? Uh, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at SM Shadley on Twitter, uh, Scott Shadley on LinkedIn. The company's at NGD Systems on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Uh, we've got a great blog site, including one written by Vladimir about how to deploy ML uh, that was recently uh, reshared. So feel free to check us out, web, Twitter, LinkedIn. We're, we're kind of pervasive and just search the term computational storage and you'll be able to find out quite a bit of content. Great. And Vladimir, anything you want to add? Uh, no, I'm one of those uh, nerdy guys that is uh, shy about social media. I'm not on Twitter. I'm lurking in Reddit and so on. I follow stuff, but I'm not exposing too much of myself. But, you know, the, the company kind of reflects the works that the, the yeah. work that we do. So you can follow our company on Twitter. Yeah. Great. And how about you, Chris? What have you been up to lately? Yeah, I'm all, all over social media still, um, to an extent anyway. Uh, LinkedIn is a great place to have conversations. You can also follow me on Twitter or look at uh, all of my exploits kind of documented at chrisgunneman.com. Great. And as for me, you can find me every Tuesday and utilizing AI and every Wednesday at the Gestalt IT News Rundown. So do check out the, the rundown where we go down the weekly news uh, with a little bit of snark. Uh, thank you very much for listening to Utilizing AI. Uh, if you enjoyed this discussion, please do share it uh, with the world, share it on your social media networks, or uh, maybe on Reddit, uh, if that's your place. And uh, please uh, join us again next week for the next episode of Utilizing AI. This podcast is brought to you by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to utilizing-ai.com or find us on Twitter at utilizing underscore AI. 